Hey, thanks for tuning in into the City Life Church podcast. We are a church in San Francisco, and we exist so that people that are far from God will encounter His presence and experience the life that only Christ offers. We pray that this word will challenge you and encourage you in your walk of faith with Jesus. Hey, today I want to continue with our, our Follow Me series. And um, all of this, this entire series that we've been preaching on, uh, has everything to do with us being free from something and free for someone. And that Jesus uh, called us to be free from the sins of this world, from the patterns of this world. But then not only that, he invited us to partner with him in a life-giving relationship that is forever. And so this idea, follow me, Jesus is the one who introduced it. He says, hey, drop your nets, follow me. And, and we see different passages through the Gospels of how he's the one who extends the invitation. The reality is this, we, we didn't choose Jesus, he chose us. You didn't choose God, God chose you. The fact is, whether, whether you came here for the first time today or tuning in online for the first time, God is constantly pursuing us and he's knocking on the doors of our heart and he's inviting us to be a part of his, of his redemptive plan, saving mankind, restoring our relationship with him. So we see Jesus uh, coming after each, each and every one of us. And how many of you know, praise God, that Jesus doesn't come out or come after only people that have it all put together? He comes after those of us who are jacked up, messed up, Raiders fans, whatever. He comes after us, and he loves us with an everlasting love. And that's the kind of God that we serve. He's a redemptive God, gracious God. And uh, today I'm going I'm to take us along this journey a little bit more, and I'm going to explore a little bit of the life of Paul, the Apostle Paul. And, uh, man, it's dark outside. There's a lot of clouds. I'm going to invite my team to help me because it's a little dark inside. Could you guys give me some light so I can actually... I think I see Adam in the far back. This dude has a humongous fro, and I think it's Adam. I don't know. But I'd love to be able to kind of make some eye contact. That helps a little bit, maybe a little bit more in the back, in the nosebleed section. And if you're online, let me know that you're with us as well. Uh, type something. Just throw some little fire emojis, some little hands, and let me know that you're tuning in. I see you, Evelyn and Teresa and Cecilia, Carmelita, Pastor Lamia, Daisy, shout out to you. A bunch of you tuning in online. Let me know that you're with us. Hank is online and here in person. Look at you, double dipping like that. I like it. <laughs> um, today we're going to continue then. And Paul, when it comes to his life, um, he actually, this was one of his themes when it comes to pursuing Jesus. Why? Because he was apprehended by God. Jesus intervened and redeemed him and saved him and delivered him. So one of his life messages was like, look, I wasn't deserving of this, but Christ came after me. Therefore, follow me as I follow him. He writes to the church in, in Corinthians, in, in Corinth. Uh, Pastor Elena was alluding to this passage last week where he says, hey, follow me. Don't be tripping up on all the, the issues as far as what kind of food you could or should eat. Don't get caught up on that kind of stuff. Let's honor God and pursue me as I'm pursuing him. Follow my example. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul tells the people in Ephesus, he says, listen, we should all be imitators of God. This is not just a little religious thing, but we should emulate. We should imitate the example of Jesus. But Philippians, though, Philippians is a, all of the Bible is great. Philippians is one of my favorite books. And I'm going to take a couple passages from the book of Philippians where Paul is talking and he, and he exhorts the church in Philippi. And he says, listen, man, I was educated. I had, I had everything that I could possibly want. Um, I, I accumulated financially, educationally, uh, as far as influence. He had influence. And he says, but once I met Christ, I considered all of that behind me garbage. He actually, he actually refers to it as poop. Like, I consider all of it S. <laughs> and, uh, 
But forgetting what is behind, I press forward. So let me read a couple of verses in Philippians chapter 3. It says this. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past. Someone say forget the past. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Come on, somebody say, I press on. Some of y'all need to like stop looking into the review mirror. You're replaying those stories in your head, in your mind, in your heart, and it's crippling you. Last time the Lord spoke to somebody and said, don't look back. That was Lot's wife. She looked back and she died. Some of y'all are could have, should have, would have. You're thinking about the yesterdays and God is speaking to you today. Stop looking in the review mirror. We learn from the past, but we don't live in the past. Forgetting what is behind, we press on. He says, I press on. I press forward. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Philippians 3.17, just a couple of verses later, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. In other words, follow me. As I've learned a few tricks along the way, as I've learned how to like surrender and submit fully to God, learn from my example, learn from my mistakes what not to do, and learn from what I've done successfully what to do, and learn from those who also follow our example, is what he says. In other words, follow me and follow us, follow the crew. We've been learning a few things, follow our example. Philippians 4, 8 and 9, it says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, again, Paul talking, one final thing, one final thought, he says. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all that you've learned and received from me. Everything that you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. What is Paul saying? He says, hey, listen, y'all, whatever you heard from me, whatever you observed, the teachings that I taught, what you saw me do, how I conducted myself, how I lived, whatever is good, imitate that. Follow my lead. My pastor used to say it like this. He says, eat the meat and chuck the bone. I don't know where that came from, but it's like, man, life happens. There's meat and there's bones. Eat the good stuff and chuck away the things that aren't so good. None of us are perfect, but in this endeavor of pursuing Jesus, God will establish people in our lives that are just a few steps ahead of us, so we learn from their examples. They say that uh, wisdom comes from experience. Do you know what smart wisdom is? Is when you learn from other people's experience. <laughs> so if you burnt your hand before, you touch fire, like, ah! Now, it's like wisdom is you're not going to touch fire no more. But if someone else has been there and done that, and they can tell you, like, it ain't no good, just learn from their example. Follow them as they're progressing in their journey. So here Paul, he's saying again, listen, not everything was perfect, but I'm striving, I'm pressing forward to the things of God. So whatever, whatever I can help you with, follow my lead. Let me spare you some pain, some disillusionment, some setbacks. Follow me as I follow Christ. So who is Paul? Who is the Apostle Paul in the New Testament? When it comes to characters, Jesus is the, the most important character in all of the Bible, Old and New Testament. When it comes to the New Testament, Jesus is the center point. He is the focal point. He is the main entree, if you will. But when it comes to influential voices after Jesus, probably the most influential person in the New Testament would be the Apostle Paul. Who was Paul? Let me give you a, a quick little character study for those of you who are Bible college students or 
uh, soon-to-be theologians, um, we should all learn about the Bible, learn topics and people. When you study a person in the Bible, we refer to that as a character study. Go on Google and learn everything about the individual, his background, her background, what God did in and through them. But this is Paul. He was a Jew born in Tarsus, a Roman province. He was a son of a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a religious person who was also a political individual. They had two primary political parties. They had multiple, but two primaries, the donkeys and the, the uh, elephants back in the day. And um, that's another topic right there. But um, these, these people, they were both religious keepers of the law, but they were also influential when it came to government. He was highly educated, and he was a prominent Pharisee himself. He was, he was mentored and tutored by one of the, the greatest minds of his day. So he was affluent as far as finances. He had high education, all the letters after his name. He was highly regarded and respected. Saul was his Jewish name, while Paul was his Roman name. And then people, I've heard people say like, yeah, when, when, when Saul encountered Jesus, Jesus changed his name. Actually, that's not correct. He was always Saul. He was always Paul. It just depended on which uh, crew he was talking to. So for, for those of you who know me, I am Brazilian. You could probably tell, right? Bom dia, bom dia. Tem brasileiro aqui? All right, a few Brazilians here. And um, so my nickname in, in the U.S. is John John. By the way, my dad was preaching here recently, and he's never called me uh, PJJ, like some of y'all call me PJJ. So he was trying to be cool and fit in with our crew. What's up, Dad? I love you. Shout out to you. Love you. But he couldn't say PJJ. He kept saying Pastor JJ. <laughs> it's like, hey, Dad, you can call me whatever you want. We're good. Um, but here in the U.S., people call me John John. And in Brazil, they would call me Jun Jun. Ah, you like that? Jun 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 Jun. It's like, it's the same name, but depending on who you're talking to, it's pronounced differently. Jun Jun or John John. Saul and Paul, kind of the same concept right here. His name is always Saul, but depending on who he was talking to, he was either referred to as Saul or Paul. Y'all got, got that, now, right? Now I'm thinking in Portuguese. Help me, Jesus. All right, let's go. <laughs> um, he planted... Many of the churches and many of the books that we read in the Bible, he was the one who was the, the planter of those churches. He would travel from place to place. The Bible records three primary missionary trips that he would go, and he was sent out, and every place he would go, he would preach Jesus, and then a community of Christians would be birthed in that place, and a church was birthed, and then later he would come back to, to visit them and then pastor them and guide them and raise leaders. So he was a church planter, and um, uh, 20 out of the 27 books of the New Testament, there's at least 13, if not 14, of the books that were written by Paul to the churches in the different regions or different individuals that he was communicating with. So when you read the Bible, the New Testament, about half of the books recorded in the New Testament were through this individual right here, Paul. The Bible records in Acts that he actually experienced a shipwreck. Like, talk about being out in the sea and then the ship goes down and you're holding on for dear life to any floating debris. He survives that. He then, you know, they, they, they go to... Uh, uh, some island, castaway island, and he gets there, and there's just a few natives there, and um, they're, they're building a fire, and then this, this deadly snake bites him. So not only does he survive a shipwreck, but then this dang snake bites him, and they're like, oh my gosh, this dude's cursed. He managed to survive the shipwreck and not die, but then surely there's something wrong with this guy because this is karma right here. This guy got bit, and then he just shakes it off into the fire, and then he doesn't die, and they're like, dang, how do you do that? So he survives snake bites. He actually, through the, the New Testament, you see that he would go from place to place, and they tried killing him multiple times. He would have to flee from different places. At different places, he was actually stoned, literally, like that was their death sentence. 
uh, in different cultures, there would be firing squads or hanging people or electric chairs in their culture. Throwing these big old rocks was the way that they would execute someone, and he managed to survive that. They thought he was dead, but then he came back. So there's different times where, where, where you see that, that, man, the enemy came to oppose him, but this dude was like the energizer bunny. He just kept on going. An incredible man, and I could go on and on about different a- uh, aspects or attributes that we see and read about uh, in the scriptures about Paul. But he wasn't always good. He didn't start so good. He had all the education. He had the fame. He had the influence. But he wasn't a, he wasn't a kingdom player at first. In his mind and in his heart, he was doing the right thing. How many of you know that you can say the right thing, do the right thing, but still be in the wrong? Huh? It's true. In, in Acts, it talks about the first martyr. Stephen was just a devout Christian, a great leader in the church. And uh, all of a sudden, he starts talking about who Jesus is, and he begins preaching to the crowd, and they turned on him. It says that Paul was present, and he witnessed and approved the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr in Scripture. He was there. And scholars would believe that actually he was used to... Uh, to bring many Christians who were part of the way. The way was the, the church. They didn't say Christians back in the day. They said, you're part of the way. Jesus is the way. So if you're part of the way, you're not in the way, but you're part of the way, you're part of this kingdom of people that followed Jesus. Many scholars would say that he was one who actually went after many of them, and many people, uh, many people lost their lives because of his zeal to, quote, unquote, keep the law clean, to keep things right. So he's a persecutor. He's a hater of Christians. He just didn't know that he was playing for the wrong team. He persecuted the early church, and his fame, the fame of the persecutor, spread through all different regions beyond Jerusalem and Judea. It's like, man, this dude right here, he's a bad dude. Stay away from this guy. And that's that's where we find the story in Acts chapter 9. I'm going to bring you all the way to Acts 9, because what I want to share with you today is I want to share lessons that we can learn from his life when it talks or when it pertains to the, the idea of following Jesus, what are some things that we can glean from from the life of Paul, one of the great examples that we have from Scripture? And I want to see, I want to show you how God will choose unlikely characters. In the Old Testament, he would choose someone like Moses, who was a murderer. In the New Testament, he also chose another individual who he himself was also a murderer. God doesn't look for people necessarily that only have a perfect track record. He, look, he looks for people that have an open heart, they're willing, and he's got a, a master plan for them. So let's explore what Acts chapter 9 says. And again, if you're online, Pastor Lamia, you know, interact with us. Let us know that you're with us. And if you're in the room, preach with the preacher today. Amen, somebody? Thank you, thank you. I know, I know it's a little rainy outside. People are wanting some marshmallows and hot chocolate, but it's like, you know, preach with your boy today just a little bit. Acts chapter 9, I'm going to read a bunch of verses right here because this is the genesis of his calling. This is where we, we see the first uh, encounter that he would have with Jesus, and it starts like this. It says, all this time Saul was breathing down the necks of the master's disciples out for the kill. And he went to the chief priest and got arrest warrants to take to the meeting places in Damascus so that he could, so that he would, uh, so that if he found anyone there belonging to the way, whether men or women, he could arrest them and bring them to Jerusalem. Damascus, where the heck is Damascus? So Jerusalem was further south. Damascus was about 150 miles north. Shout out to Pastor Lamia. Damascus is just a little southeast of Lebanon where she's from. 
So it would take about a five-day journey if you were walking. It would take a good five or six days walking. And uh, so he is like irate. He's like, man, these people, the Christians of the way, they're spreading this stuff, and it's going viral. It's going everywhere, and we got to stop this. So he goes to the chief priest, and he gets this, these arrest warrants that if he would find anyone leading a life group, come on, somebody, anyone leading a small group or preaching about this Jesus guy, he would have legal right to arrest those Jews, not the Gentiles, but he could arrest those Jews in these different regions. So it says in verse 3 that he set off, and when he got to the outskirts of Damascus, so he's been traveling for several days, just as he's approaching this town, Damascus, he was suddenly dazed by a blinding flash of light. And as he fell to the ground, he heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you out to get me? Another version says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, master? I am Jesus, the one that you're hunting down. I want you to get up and enter this city In the city, you'll be told what to do next. I want you to pause right there. I want you to just consider this for just a brief second. He has an encounter with Jesus. He's out to oppose the followers of Jesus. He's against the message of Jesus. How many of you know that Jesus still loves even the haters? Even people that are against him, against his purposes, he still loves them. He gave his life for them. And on this mission that he finds himself in, Jesus intercepts him. And this, this blinding light, it literally causes his eyes, his physical eyes to be blinded. He has an encounter with Jesus. This is his freedom retreat right here. This is his encounter retreat right here where he stops literally on his tracks and he can't go any further. Why? Because now he is physically blinded. And then Jesus says, you will go into the city and there you will be told what to do. Now, some of you might be like a little bit like me. We're like, dang, sometimes it's frustrating following God. I know he's amazing. I know his ways are perfect. His heart is incredible. He's always good to me. But why is it that so many times we don't know what the next step is? Anybody ever been there before? Where we encounter God, we experience the presence of God, but then we're still dependent on him. We're having to trust him for every step we take. Paul just has this incredible experience with Jesus. And then Jesus is like, hey, but listen, you got to carry on. You got to keep on going. But there is a purpose for that, by the way. And he goes on to say this. He says, in the city, you will be told what to do next. Verse 7, his companions there, they stood there dumbstruck. And they could hear the sound, but they couldn't see anyone. While, Paul, while Saul, picking himself up from the ground, he found himself stone blind. And they had to take him by the hand and lead him to Damascus. And he continued blind for three days. He ate nothing and he drank nothing. There was a disciple in Damascus, and this is fascinating to me. There's a disciple in Damascus by the name of Ananias. That name was actually a pretty common name. And in scriptures, there are three different dudes by the name of Ananias. There was a a priest, a high priest named Ananias. There was another dude who was married to this cute thing called Sapphira, Ananias and Sapphira, and they got killed. God actually zapped them because of the condition of their heart. They were trying to trick God. They were, they were kind of trying to be generous, but they weren't, and they were trying to be deceitful. So God says, ain't putting up with that. So he kills Ananias, but then there's this Ananias. By the way, the name Ananias means Jehovah has graciously given. Jehovah has graciously given. So it's a great, Ananias was a gracious gift from God. And here, Saul, this incredible man, would need a disciple who was a gift from God, who would graciously give him what he needed for the next phase of his journey. 
By the way, when you think of Ananias and Sapphira, they were a gift from God to the early church. Come on, a gracious gift. And they undermined God's purposes. And God says, you know what? I ain't dealing with that. Zapped them. The gracious gift of God. By the way, we are all a gift from God to those around us. Come on, somebody. So whether you're perfect or not, whether you got some scars, you are a gift. But here's this Ananias, this simple dude. And uh, uh, it says, the master spoke to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, master, he answered. Get up and go over to Straight Avenue and ask the house and, and ask at the house of Judas for the man from Tarsus. Now, in studying Damascus, I study this out. The Straight Avenue, the Straight Road, was the most prominent. It would be the equivalent of Market Street here prominent street that crossed the entire city of Damascus. It had all these different colonnades and pillars, and there was a prominent main, main avenue. So apparently, Paul or Saul has been led to this Airbnb owned by Judas, not the other Judas that was also a hater, but this Judas. And, um, and Jesus telling Ananias, I want you to go to that place and ask. Ask for Saul of Tarsus. And he's like, oh, like, are you kidding me? I just saw it on CNN. Like, dude, is a killer. Or Fox or whatever it is that you would watch or listen to. I saw some tweet that this dude found some more Christians and he's out to kill us. What are you doing, Jesus? And it says that he's there praying and he has just had a dream in which he saw a man named Ananias enter the house and lay hands on him so that he could see again. And Ananias, he protested and said, Master, uh, you can't be serious. Everybody's talking about this man and the terrible things that he's been doing his reign of terror against your people in Jerusalem. And now he's shown up here with papers from the chief priests that give him license to do the same to us. <laughs> How many of you know that sometimes God will actually challenge us and tell us to do things that are extremely contradictory, unreasonable, most definitely uncomfortable. But the master said, don't argue. That'll preach right there. Jesus says, stop arguing. You zip it. Talk to the hand. Don't argue. Go. I have picked him as my personal representative to the non-Jews and kings and the Jews. And now I'm about to show him what, he, what he's in for, the hard suffering that goes with his job or this job. So Ananias went and found the house, and he placed his hands on blind Saul, and he said, Brother Saul, look at that approach right there. He had heard from Jesus, though he's freaking out. Like, this is one of those ministry assignments that he probably, no one would want to like sign up for that team. Come up to Dream Team and you're going to get different assignments. That's the assignment that nobody wants to like pull. That's the short straw. But he responds saying, Brother Saul, the master sent me. The same Jesus that you saw on your way here, he sent me so that you could see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. No sooner were the words out of his mouth than something like scales, they fell, fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got to his feet, was baptized, and he sat down with them to a hearty meal. Everyone tracking with me so far? Lots of Bible reading today, but this is, I want you to get this in your spirit and visualize and see this journey, this process. It wasn't comfortable. Something was being birthed in Saul's life, and it would require complete and full dependency upon Jesus. Interesting because Saul was proficient and an expert in the law. When it came to the physical, he was brilliant. He was a master. He was, he was head and shoulders of, above all his peers. In the physical and in the natural dimension, he could see, but in the spirit, he couldn't. So literally, Jesus blinded him physically so that his spiritual eyes could be opened and enlightened, and he could see what God wanted him to see. Sometimes God will use drastic measures to get our attention. Come on, somebody. 
Saul, it says, verse 19, Saul spent a few days getting acquainted with the Damascus disciples, but, but then went right to work, wasting no time preaching in the meeting places that, his, that, this, that this Jesus was the Son of God. So as you would study this out, and in Galatians, Paul actually t- tells us a little bit more about that story, how when he went to Damascus, this is what happened. So it says that he actually stayed there for, for many years. For about three years, he stayed in that region, and he would go from place to place preaching about Jesus. It actually talks about how Ananias laid hands on him, and he was baptized. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He already had a Jesus encounter, but he still needed an infilling. Come on, somebody. He already had responded to the call. He was obedient, led by the hand, by his friends. He goes to Damascus to wait on Jesus. What's the next step? And then Ananias, a simple man. The Bible doesn't tell us anything else beyond this point. He is obedient to the Lord. He lays hands on him. His eyes physically, he is healed. He encounters God, and he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And because the Spirit of God rested upon him, as he's kicking it with this small group now of believers, these, these disciples of Jesus in Damascus, now he doesn't hesitate and wait and go, hey, I need to go to a, a new school for the next three or four years because that would be my propensity. I want to be fully trained and educated in the ways of the way. So let me go and get my bachelor's degree, my master's and PhD, and then I'll go and preach. He didn't do that. He had received empowerment through a simple man. And because he was already part of a a company of believers who believed, he felt the power of God to go and he immediately started preaching Jesus. I hope you would kind of get this because some of us, we are reluctant to step out. We are reluctant because in our minds, we think, I don't know enough. I don't know the Bible enough. I haven't gone to all the different trainings and I love God with all my heart, but I don't feel like I'm qualified. Since when did God choose the qualified? God looks for willing vessels, and he'll work with whatever's in your hand right now. You don't have to be a theologian or an expert or a professional in the things of the kingdom. Just be obedient. Trust God. Be a vessel that he can flow in and through, and watch what God will do. So these four characters that I see, Ananias, that was, that was Paul's first personal trainer. That's why here at like City Life, you give your life to Jesus immediately with Fresh Start. We assign someone to walk with you, a personal trainer that will help you take your first baby steps of faith. How do I pray? Do I pray to Mary? Like how to pray? No, don't pray to Mary. Pray to God. But who's Jesus? Jesus is God. And all of a sudden, this personal trainer will help you take your baby steps and get you going. Learning how to read the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E. Ananias was that character right here. He was the He was the lead fresh start coordinator for Paul's life. And then you have the the disciples. They're not even mentioned by name. But I would say that they were like a life group in Damascus. And all of a sudden, Paul begins to find life and and health and support and faith. And all of a sudden, through this life group, he feels empowered to then continue to be what God has called him to be. That's why I love our life groups around here. You guys are amazing life group leaders. I see Scott and Amy. I see uh, Denilson and Lila and Angie. I see different ones and a bunch of you guys. It's still dark in here. I know you're here in faith and by faith. I know you're around. But those of you watching online are life group leaders. These are the real deal leaders around here. These are, uh, these are the guys thick and thin. They are there. Scott and Amy, thank you for the great report with Dennis and Elizabeth this week. Your group interceding and praying. And then Dennis gets the news this week that he's been... He's received a clean bill of health. Now it's been six months since leukemia. So praise God. It takes all of us. 
And I've sent Dennis a few texts along the way and Elizabeth, but it's Scott and Amy, the small group leaders, like these disciples in Damascus. They're the ones that are in the trenches. They're the ones that are checking in on them regularly and faithfully and praying and interceding. It takes, it takes the individual, but it takes the small group as well. We're heading down the final stretch of this new season or this recent season of small groups freedom. We got two more weeks. Is that right, Nicole? Two more weeks. We, we can do this, crew. Let's finish strong. Two more weeks, and then it's a wrap. And then we take a little break and we start a new season of small groups. But imagine this. We see the example of the reason, the benefit of being a part of community, both large and then smaller communities. We're not called to do this alone. Saul didn't have an experience with Jesus and said, all right, fellas, deuces. Man, I'm going to tear it up. I'm going to write all kinds of books. It's going to influence generations. Love you all. Peace. Now, he was actually connected, and he was a part of a community that was bigger than him. He needed that support. Amen? One more time, let's tell all of our life group leaders and teams how much we love and appreciate them. It says that he would go to the synagogues. Again, this was not Damascus. It would be the equivalent of Syria now. It was in Syria. These weren't Jews that were there. So synagogues were like churches for the Jews where they would practice Judaism. They would practice the religion of their culture. But they weren't necessarily Christians. But, but Paul, he would go first to those Jews in the synagogues. And then anyone else who would listen and believe, he would preach to the Jews and the non-Jews. Are you with me so far? And it says that he would go to the synagogue and he would preach. He says, guys, I've been hating on Jesus for a minute, but he's the fulfillment of everything that, we're lear- that we've learned from Isaiah and all the different prophets. It's like Jesus is that fulfillment. And many began to believe and they converted to the way. They converted, they bought into, and yet some were still hating. I'm like, no, that's crazy, bro. So he had both followers and he had haters. So synagogue in Damascus, that would be, a, that would be his outreach, Pastor Keats. His first outreach was the synagogues of Damascus. And he didn't use planning center to go and sign up. He just went. And he just started living out loud, preaching and speaking and using the gifts that God had given him. And then there's a dude by the name of Joe, Joseph. Not even mentioned in this passage yet. But Joseph later would be known as Barnabas, a simple man from the the tribe of Levi. He was a Levite. He apparently owned some property. Levites didn't own property, but either he married somebody that had property. I don't know how that all worked out, but he was a simple guy, a good guy. And when, when Paul would finally leave Damascus to go back to his hometown of Jerusalem, he's actually from Tarsus, but he spent many years in Jerusalem. When he goes back to Jerusalem, he gets there and the original church, the original disciples, Peter, James, John, those guys, when he comes back, they're like, dude, I don't know about this cat. Like, like what if he's trying to infiltrate our movement and, and implode it from the inside out? They were kind of giving him some, some cold shoulder, the left hand of fellowship, so to speak. Paul would say in Galatians that he spent about 15 days with Peter, but the guy who introduced him to all of these guys was this dude, Barnabas, who believed in him. He didn't have the titles. He didn't have the the accolades quite yet at this point, but he was an entrepreneur, a good man who had a generous heart. says that he had sold his property and gave it all. Unlike Ananias, Barnabas, this Joseph guy, he gave all that he had. A man who wasn't even meant to own anything by virtue of his his ethnic background, everything he had, he actually sold and he gave and he sown into the kingdom of God. And it was this guy with the great spirit of faith and with the eye of the prophetic. He said, there's something different about this cat. There's something different about this Paul. 
Could it be that God had already began to whisper prophetically that this guy right here would change that world, would flip that world upside down? And rather than dismissing this guy who had a terrible track record, he would actually on board with God's plans and say, you know what? I'll take you under my ring. I'll take you under my wing and I will mentor you. I would like to say that Barnabas would become Paul's first coach or mentor. When it came to mentoring, it would be Barnabas. If we actually took the time to, to research the life of Paul even further, it says that he then would go back. He would, go, he would leave Jerusalem because now they were persecuting him. They were, he was on the FBI most wanted list of his day. They wanted to kill this dude. Like, we got to find this guy. We'll pay whatever we got to pay. So he flees, and then he's kind of on the DL for an extended period of time. But his mentor knew where, where to find him. And as God would then begin to progress and set the, the chess table, and he would then begin to recruit different leaders that would go and spread the gospel and plant many churches, Barnabas goes out of his way to find his protege, to find his disciple, and pulls him in. And it says that the church in Antioch then would send them out on their first missionary journey to start planting churches. And then all of a sudden, Europe would open up, and the gospel would be preached in Europe. You know who took Paul there? It was his mentor. It was Barnabas, a simple guy that had been faithful. He didn't go to all the schools of training. He didn't have all the education, but he had a big heart. He had faith. He had the eyes of the prophetic, and he could see the potential. And he, he adopted Paul, if you will, took him under his wing. Could you imagine the ministry that Paul had in the New Testament? You could, you could credit Barnabas. As Barnabas is following Jesus, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. And then Paul is being groomed and mentored and trained. And he becomes a mighty man of God. And then he, in turn, would recruit the Silases and the Timothys and the many others that would influence the New Testament and influences us today. Now, I'm giving you all a bunch of information today. Is that okay? I'm going to give you the big idea right now. And then I'm going to unpack some practical pointers for all of us. So you got your little Bible, Bible study down already. And um, here's the big idea for today. Following Jesus requires following the ones that he sends to help lead the way. Say it again. Following Jesus, when he says, follow me, following Jesus requires following the ones that he sends to help lead the way. God will always send people in your direction with a message and an anointing for the moment. Whatever season you find yourself in, God will align for those that are a few steps ahead of you, wherever you're at in your maturity and in your Christian formation. And whatever the assignment would be that he asked for you, God will bring people along the way that will be able to say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Whatever I've learned, follow my example. Brag on Catherine for a little bit. I know she hates it when I, when I do this, but Catherine is a, an incredible woman of God. She is wise. Keys is the one that gets up here with his swag and his gear and all that, and, you know, clap once, you know, that's just cool things like that. And... But behind every good man, there's a great woman, amen? Because you got Catherine, who is elegant, eloquent, poised, wise. There's a deep well of the word in her. She's a counselor. There's a spirit of wisdom on her life. She's a mama of four. Mary the Keys, you have to be a wise woman of God. Come on, somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna get myself in trouble here. But it's amazing. I already am. But watching Catherine, though, she, she doesn't stand on this platform right here, but she has incredible influence. She is a minister. She helps. She mentors many women in our church and people outside of the church. She helps bring reconciliation and restoration. She has a heart for pregnant mamas. She has a heart. She's a doula. God uses her gift mix, God uses her personality. She would be either number one or number six on the Enneagram. Whatever one it is, it's awesome. 
And, and she's an incredible addition to our team. God uses her to lead other, particularly young gals who are in this crossroads of life. Catherine leads them, not necessarily figuratively holding the hand, but as she is guiding them, God uses her to bring life and faith and courage for the journey that is ahead. As she's pursuing God, and she's a woman of, of the word and prayer, as she's pursuing God, others are following her example. And God is doing that with many other men and women in the church. Again, you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be an expert in the things of God. Just be a willing vessel. So following Jesus requires following the ones that he sends to help lead the way. Here are seven lessons, and I could probably, you know, grab 50 lessons. These are just seven that I pulled out from just this, this passage of Scripture right here and some of the stories that we know from the Apostle Paul. Seven applicational points that I think that we should learn and be reminded of. Number one, God knows us and is constantly pursuing us. I want you to hear my voice today. God knows you. And he's pursuing you, not to punish you. It's not that he wants to come and bring discipline because you've been a failure or you've been stubborn or you've drifted from the things of God. God loves you and he continues to pursue you. Why? Because you are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. He wants you to experience his love. He doesn't want you to feel alone. God is present in, in, in every season of life. Someone needs to hear this today. God is pursuing you. You didn't find Jesus. Jesus found you. And you need to be, be reminded in your heart, what is your net worth? The blood of Jesus. Yeah. It doesn't matter how much money you've got in the bank or how much real estate you own or don't own or stocks or crypto or whatever. By the way, our church now, it's like so high tech. We, we actually receive offerings through crypto. Come on, pff, Robin Hood. Like that's trippy right there. It doesn't matter how much money you've got in your account. Your net worth is the life of Jesus himself. God is so crazy about you that he sent Jesus to die on the cross to save you. And if there was no one else on this planet, he still would have done that. That's how crazy he is about us. So God knows us and he's constantly pursuing us. When it comes to Saul or Paul, he's, he's actually working against God and Jesus personally intervenes and steps in, blinds him because he had to be blinded physically, right? And he has an encounter and Saul would respond correctly like, Master, like, who, who are you? What's going on here? And then Jesus didn't say, bro, like, man, you've got, you've got the blood of innocent people on your hands. What are you thinking? He didn't do that. He was gracious. He was compassionate. He gave him basic instructions. And he says, go into the city and there you'll receive more information. And then the beauty of how God works, because God could do everything by himself, but he doesn't. Someone needs to hear this. God actually grants us the privilege of partnering with him. Whereas Saul would go into Damascus, then a simple man by the name of Ananias, along with some disciples that are not even mentioned by name, they would be included in this redemptive work that Jesus was, was doing. And he would use these simple, ordinary people to minister and lay hands on this man. And he would become a catalytic voice for millennia. God always partners with us. He knows you. He loves you. He comes after you. He pursues you because he's crazy. And he invites you to be a part of his master plan. Someone needs to hear that today. You're important to God. You're valuable to him. You mean something to him. You're special. Number two, God has a special plan and special assignments for our lives. In my case, my family, my mom and dad, they had had three kids already. My oldest sister, born in Mexico, Tambalin. And then my brother, Antonio, we call him Tony, Pastor David's dad. And then Debbie or Deborah, 
born in Brazil. I'm number four. There's a significant gap between numbers three and four. So the first three kids, they pop pretty quickly, one after the other, and then all of a sudden, whoa. I think it's like eight years. Uh, if I can use the term loosely, the factory was shut down, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? And then all of a sudden, wow, how did that happen? It happened. And even at a camp, there was a prophet that was ministering, and then he looks at my mom and says, the son that you're carrying will be a prophet to the nations. And like Sarah and Abraham in the Old Testament, <laughs> right. She was pregnant. She didn't even know she was pregnant. And then months later, here I am, jun jun. <laughs> And even before I was even born into this world, there was already a plan that was being declared over me that God would use me. And you know what? God doesn't lie. Sometimes prophets miss it, but this prophet got it right. God actually would use me to be a prophet to the nations. Not that I'm a big deal. I'm not. Jesus is. But I've had the privilege of being used by him. And I've, been, I've preached in many, many countries around the world. And I learned how to begin to develop the prophetic gift on the mission field. Laying hands on these people, prophesying over them. So God knows the plans that he has for us, it says in Jeremiah. He's got special plans for each and every one of us. You're not an afterthought. You're not an accident. Maybe your mom and dad didn't know you were coming, but God knew. He saw a need, and therefore he created you. God never, by the way, creates you, and they're like, oh, my gosh. Hey, Holy Spirit, Son, Jesus, Father, all three of us, let's huddle. What shall we have them do? Like, let's write up a perfect script for we know the plans we have. No, actually, he sees the need, and therefore you were conceived for such a time as this. That's why you're here on this planet right now. You weren't born in the 1800s or the 1500s. You were born to experience a global pandemic with the rest of us. And greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. And that's why God's raised you up. My son E-Dog right here, front row Niner fan, getting down with his with his pineapple Air Force Ones. It's like, man, dude, is rocking it. He told me some time ago, Dad, when I grow up, I'm going to be a basketball player and a preacher, and my church is going to be way bigger than yours. <laughs> I'm okay with that. So, Absolutely, son. But he's already got this sense that God is using him, and God's got greatness for him. There's a great call in his life. Son, you're going to go way further than I've ever gone. God's going to use you to reach millions. I'm telling you, son. Not because you're that special, you are special to us, but God has a special call on each and every one of us. God's going to use you. You're going to be known as a man of fire, a man of the word of God. The prophetic is going to be strong 